Hello, Cynthia. Welcome to Wisdom of the Himalayan Tradition podcast. How are you today? Hi, Jerome. Um, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. This is such an honor. Great. Well, we're glad to have you, too. You're actually our first official guest. Oh, <laughs> great. Thank you. Again, another honor. I appreciate it. Yes. Would you like to just start off by giving us a little background history about yourself or your experience with the tradition? Anything you want to share with us? Um, sure. I, um, my goodness, I was introduced to the tradition, I feel like a hundred years ago when I first, when I first met you, um, for, to do private lessons, uh, I, gosh, I don't even remember the mid nineties, I suppose that was. Yes. And, um, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I didn't know anything about the, the lineage of yoga or, or of the tradition in particular, or, or that, that, that was even, you know, something that was available to me as a student. I just wanted to perfect my poses and, and decrease some stress and, and learn, you know, what I thought was yoga. And, and, and through the teachings of the traditions and through your meditation classes and then eventually through my journey to uh, Holmesdale to do a teacher training, I, um, I, I got to learn the, the vast world of the tradition and, and it's, it's just an incredible place to be. I, I think in particular as a yoga teacher now in this day and age to have, to have a lineage, um, like the Himalayan tradition and, and, and to be a part of that and, and really have that to, to, to fall back onto and to, to look to, um, you know, for answers when, you know, you can, and, you know, start to question um, where it is that, that you are along your path. It's just, it, it's been a wonderful um, experience for me. So I, I feel really blessed to have been introduced to the tradition. Well, thanks so much for sharing that. Mm-hmm. And along those lines, is there anything you want to share about just the practical aspects, just the day-to-day? Is there anything you notice just in your day-to-day lives, ways that the tradition impacts the way you move through your day-to-day life? Well, that's such a good question, and that's something I'd actually even had had thought to ask you about today. But, you know, one of the biggest impacts, I think, and 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 one of the most powerful teachings that I've taken from you is that everything is sacred. And, and this idea that there is really no division between, uh, you know, the earthly or the, the secular and, and that which is sacred, it, it all becomes one. And, and so for me, that has been the most powerful tool in my teaching is bringing what we do in our everyday life, you know, as householders, taking care of our kids, our duties, our responsibilities, our careers, our everyday conversations, driving in our car, the food that we eat. And, and really, you know, that, that knowing that everything that we do is sacred. I recently read an article, um, and I believe it was through Yoga International, actually. um, And, and it was about the lost teachings of yoga. 
you know, talking about how, you know, today our world, you know, yoga is a household name for sure. Yoga is a household word. Um, the idea, millions of people are practicing yoga all over the world, which is wonderful. But they, you know, were asking the question, you know, are, are the teachings of yoga lost or have they become so diluted that practitioners of yoga don't even know, you know, where, how yoga was actually brought to the West, um, and, and, and really, you know, the true teachings of yoga. And, and, and I'm just curious your thoughts on that, you know. And, and for me as an instructor, you know, aside from that, you know, the, the, the teaching of, of, of bringing the sacred into everything that we do in our life, how do you make the ancient teachings more relevant in students' everyday life? Well, thanks for sharing that, and that's a great question. And it's a question I think we all have to ask ourselves as practitioners and teachers. You know, our life is different. You know, the West, the way we are in the West, is so different from the ancient yogis. They lived in more secluded environments. They weren't as engaged in the world as we are. They didn't have iPhones. So, uh, so yeah, we do have to apply, but the, the beauty of it, if you really get to the core of the teachings, they're just ancient. It's just wisdom. It's just general life wisdom, human wisdom, nature wisdom, wisdom that's always been there and always will be there. And no matter how much the external world changes, sure, st- styles change, fashion changes, there's all kinds of changes that we come up against, but there's some very core principles that we can't escape. And I think that's where the teachings really kick in because they bring us back to those core things that don't change. Basic human things and basic inroads into consciousness, which are the same. You know, the tools of meditation or the breath, prayer, those type practices never change. They're always going to be inroads into our inner process, our inner spiritual journey. If you can... I think for me at least, and how I teach, is to try to relate those teachings to the modern world by allowing people to understand that. One thing that my teacher would always say is we're citizens of both the internal world and the external world. And really understanding that, that yes, we do function in the external world and we do deal with the swirling changes of the external world, but that internal world is what is always there. That's what never changes. So I think if we can reconnect with the internal world, and that's what the yoga practices help us do, as long as we can maintain that inner connection, then that gives us the peace, the stability, and the wisdom to navigate the ever-changing external world. And what, that's great, that, that, I love that. Um, that idea that, I mean, you can look all, in, in so many different aspects of, you know, the everyday world that we live in. And there, there are those core things that, that are just always there, regardless of, you know, the trends at the time and, and what happens around that. And that, that's such a good analogy for people that that core part of us aligning with that, that's the part of us that, that is ever present, never changing. And if, if the more we can connect with that, the easier it is to work with everything that does change around us because it's not like we, it's not like we want to separate ourselves from that because 
you know, when we're, when we're out in the ever-changing world, when we're, we're sort of like in the, in the storm, I mean, that's where the juice of life is. I mean, wouldn't you say, like, you know, we're, we're ever-evolving until we're not, right, until we die. And, and, and so that's where the fun, the experience of life is the fun. So, you know, we don't want to separate ourselves from that, and we certainly don't, I mean, yeah, there are aspects where maybe we do want to go to an ashram for a little while and, and, and sort of separate from the world to kind of regroup. But for the most part, the, the fun and the experience of life is being in it. So how do we be in it with a more stable core set of values? I mean, right? It, it, you know, it, am I saying that correctly? Do you, do you agree? Oh, definitely, definitely. And we all have our own personal journey, our personal experience of that process. One of the things that my teacher would often say is that yoga is really about living in the world, but yet remaining above. Mm -hmm. And the symbol of yoga is the lotus flower. The reason why that's a symbol is because the lotus flower grows in a pond. So the roots are in the mud of the pond, at the bottom of the pond, the roots are there. And that's where it's grounded into the dirt the mud of the pond but the flower rises above so when you look at the lotus all you see is just the beauty of the flower on the surface of the water you don't see the roots that are down into the mud relating that to yoga is yes we do have to be grounded into the world we don't want to afford the world we don't need to see the world as negative we need to integrate into the world so our roots do need to be in the world because as you said we we're here we're here in a, in the human body we're having a human experience so we need to be grounded in that experience. So our roots need to be firmly planted in the world. But we have the ability to shine, to rise above. And the way we express that is through our consciousness. Our consciousness is able to be the flower that rises above the mud of the world. And therefore, neither is seen as one versus the other. They both work together, having the, fa the foundation of being in the world, of being grounded in your life, carrying out your world of responsibilities and duties, and not running from the world for the sake of spirituality, but keep going deeper into the world. You know, when roots go deep, it makes a stronger foundation for the plant. So just having those deep, strong roots in the world, but yet rising above. So it's really about perspective, how you look at the world. There's many different ways. We all can have a similar experience, but our perspective or our takeaway from that experience can be very different. So it's really taking time to examine your perspectives. What do you take away from your world experience? And that's what really is the grist for the mill. That's what helps you see where you stand from a spiritual perspective. Are you able to shift from some of the pitfalls or negative things that we can definitely get into in the world? And how can we rise above? How can we elevate our perceptions so that we get a more of a unifying more of a loving, compassionate, peaceful perspective of the world. Jerome, that's one of my favorite quotes um, ever is, and I, you know, you've said this to me, you know, years and years and years, yoga is living in the world, but rising above, and, and that, that really is just something that has stuck with me my entire, my entire life. I love it so much. Um, you know, as we are, we have so much more access 
to to everything that is going on in the world, which is, uh, you know, wonderful technology is wonderful. Uh, you know, social media uh, it can be wonderful. But it, it does seem that we, maybe we're just uh, more aware. We, we see so much of the negativity of the world. And, and, and so I get this a lot in, in the practice because I think we can, you know, sort of wrap our heads around this idea like, okay, you know, when am I buying into the negative? When am I feeding the negative? When am I fueling that, um, you know, that perspective? And, and, and most of the time, right, we even, you know, through our physical practice, through our breath work, we can move into that state where we are the witness and even observe like, oh, okay, right now I, I see how my perspective is, is feeding that, is fueling that. But changing that, the actual work of like shifting that, um, do you, what, you know, tool would you recommend or what, you know, what is one practice or one way that we can, you know, we see it and we're like, yep, okay, there it is. I know that's there. But how do we actually create the change? That's a great question. The thing that comes to my mind is, you know, everything is connected. The physical world, the spiritual world, everything. There's just connection. Everything is connected. The mind, the body, emotions, each reflects the other. So when you want to change the body, what do you do? If you want to be more physically fit, you exercise, you lift weights, run, aerobics, crossfit. If you want to lose weight, you may reduce your calories. Or if you just want to be healthier, you may change to a healthier diet so that you feel better. A lot of it is understanding what you're taking in. So if you want to change your diet, for example, what kind of foods are you taking into your body? And understanding how those foods affect you. Some foods make you feel energized, make you feel calm. Other foods might agitate your system in some way. Some foods may make you feel lethargic or heavy. So from a spiritual perspective, it's the same thing. With understanding what is it that you're feeding yourself? What are you feeding your consciousness? What are you feeding your mind? And as you start to understand the effects of that, then you start to make choices. Okay, do I want to sit and watch the news every day? How does that affect my mind? How does that affect my emotions? How does that affect how I sleep at night? How does that affect how I feel about myself or others? So one of the real keys is just understanding what is it that you're taking in because there's so much potential for us to have experience. That's kind of the way our society is. We can just have experiences all the time, whether virtual experiences through, our, through the internet or real life experience through going here and going there or doing this and doing that. So we have so many things we can potentially experience. I think one thing is to really, really examine what it is that we are allowing to enter into our field of experience. And then some things we understand we need to eliminate. They're not helping us rise above. They're not allowing us to go within or keeping us externally focused. So just really evaluating what it is that we're actually doing because Sometimes we don't get a chance to. Things come at us so fast, and sometimes we think we need to consume what's coming at us. If we don't watch the news, we don't know what's going on. If we don't check our Facebook page, we might miss something. If we don't do this so we have all these things we feel like we have to do, 
And most of those things are external. Most of those things pull us outside. So we have to, once we recognize that, then we need to find out what feeds us internally. So maybe for some people it's meditation, but not for everybody. Some people, I teach meditation, often people say, I can't meditate, it's very difficult. But maybe for them it's just doing physical postures or the breathing exercises or prayer or reading books or just being out in nature. Just find those things that give you peace, find those things that nurture you, and it may take a little while to discover what those are, but if you apply yourself, you'll find those things that help keep you connected, help you go within, and give you that sense of peace so that you can navigate the external world. So it is a process, and those things change. Maybe what you've done in your life, maybe when you're young, maybe asana was it. As you get older and get aches and pains, maybe not so much. So maybe then you switch to more subtle internal practices. Maybe then you focus more on the breath, or you focus more on meditation, mindfulness, contemplation, prayer. So it's just an ongoing process to figure that out. But if you're sincere, they always say in, in the yoga system that if you're sincere in your spiritual endeavors, then you'll find your way. You'll find it from your own efforts, but you'll also get help and grace and signposts and guides along the way that helps you in that process. Can you say that again, Jerome, if you're sincere yeah, that's one in of your quest? In your yes, and you're sincere in your quest for spirituality. If you're a sincere seeker, that's one of the, the biggest qualifications mm. for spiritual students' sincerity. If you're truly, truly sincere, and they even say that even in your sincerity and in your quest, even if you come across obstacles, maybe you find a teacher that may not work out the way that you expect, but they say that if your sincerity will eventually lead you and guide you to the right situation for yourself. So you just have to have faith and just stick with it and be sincere and the help and the things that you need will come to you. I love that. So I, I find that I get that a lot too. I get a lot of, of students coming to me with the, I can't meditate. And so uh, before we wrap up, maybe one final thing um, what advice or one tool, what, what would you leave with the beginning meditator or, or the person who wants desperately to sit but doesn't know how, doesn't know where to start? Um, what, what tips or tools uh, could you leave with someone maybe even listening that, that, that is desiring a meditation practice but doesn't really think that they can meditate? Yeah, that's definitely an excellent uh, question. What I do oftentimes is I de-emphasize the word or the concept of meditation because in the West, mm. we always think we need to do something to conquer something, to accomplish something. So if you put that out there, meditation, <laughs> people go about like, I have to do it, I have to master it. And if I don't do it the way I mm. think I should do it or it doesn't happen as fast as I should, then I'm doing it wrong. I'm not doing it right or I can't. So I try to shift the focus from that and I try to make the focus more about just practicing stillness and sometimes that stillness can be just very simple if you're driving in a car just maybe unplug don't have music on and just just be still or if you're one who likes to be out in nature or take walks or jog or ride your bike just do it in silence just try to inject stillness and quietness 
as much as you can. If you're someone who watches TV at night before you go to bed, maybe turn a TV off a half hour early and just and just be still. Just sit still. Don't worry about what the meditation experience should be or shouldn't be or what it looks like. Meditation isn't something that. you actually do. It's something that happens when you prepare yourself. And preparation simply means just training the mind to be still. Just training the mind to be okay, not having constant input. And which is what we kind of do in our culture. We feel like our mind has to be constantly stimulated, has to have constant input, constantly consuming things. So once you start to create the habit of not needing to be constantly stimulated or consuming things, then the mind naturally starts to appreciate being stillness. And maybe beginning, that's five minutes, maybe five minutes of your day. You might say, you know what, for five minutes, I just was able just to chill. I could just be sitting on my couch. Maybe it wasn't sitting in full lotus or some advanced yoga posture. Maybe it was just sitting on my couch, just taking a few breaths or looking out the window or sitting on my porch or taking a walk. So I tell people that's what the goal should be in the beginning. It's just training your mind to be okay being still. Because if you keep your mind constantly stimulated all day long, and then you think just because you sit in your nice little posture with your incense burning, your candle lit, that all of a sudden your mind is going to go into meditation. It's just not going to happen. So you have to, right. you know, gently, you know, train your mind that, you know what, mind, it's okay. It's just okay to be still. It's okay not to be doing something or not to have something going on. And, you know, and just making friends with your mind, making friends with, with yourself so that you're not, punishing yourself by saying, well, I don't do this, I can't do this, and this mm -hmm. harshness around it. So just being very gentle, loving, compassionate with yourself. And if you, if you put all that together, it'll happen. Because again, meditation is just a natural state that we all can attain. We just need to know how to do it. And sometimes just the ease around it, having ease around it makes it so much easier than to, I have to meditate. You know, for someone such as myself who likes to do everything right, um, I really, really, really appreciate that, um, that way to come at it. You know, I, um, I really, for so long thought there was a right way to meditate and it was, you sit and, you know, this, this certain posture and you do it at this time and you've eaten this time, you know, and, you know, this many minutes prior or after, you know, and the candles are lit and, and I found myself not showing up for meditation because there was this fear of doing it wrong. One day I decided to just sit at the same time every day and it didn't matter what it looked like. And some days I'd come in with a cup of coffee in my hand, you know, hairs everywhere, you know, I even brushed my teeth, just that. And every day, and, you know, and I found in that that, I showed up more often and I craved that, that moment of showing up because it didn't have to be anything. And it became this really lovely experience where now every single day, it's just, it's become a habit. I just come and I sit and it doesn't matter what it looks like. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Make friends with your mind. Stop punishing yourself. Oh God, that's so great. Yeah, so thank you, and thank you for uh, joining us, being our first guest. Thank you for your wonderful insights. I've enjoyed our process uh, along the path of working with you, and anything you Well, thank you, Jerome. Yes, I want to thank you. Thank you for the teachings. Thank you for 
for for all that you do and the way that you uh, you're a wonderful teacher. So I I really appreciate it. Okay, and thank well, you for having me. 